Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Airwaves have returned to normal following the dispersal of the mist. Back to the usual news with traffic. Due to this week-long weather event, many roads have been damaged or destroyed. Police advise drivers to prevent traffic jams by carpooling. After this week, we need traffic jams like everyone in the car needs a new hole in the head. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Khan. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. Hi there, constant readers. And today we are finishing our coverage of The Mist by discussing the movie. And before we dive into it with Josh leading us, I just want to say COVID has once again struck our studio. And it's not me this time. And we are recording remotely. So we might sound a little bit different. On my goddamn birthday. (laughs) Happy birthday. (laughs) This is the worst. I'm old and I'm sick. Stupid. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you for all the kind messages, listeners. I feel much better now. All right, let's get into The Mist, the movie. I fucking love it. Jumping right in. Guys, Dark Tower reference right off the fucking jump. Yes, that was so cool. David is an amazing painter, and he's painting Roland. (laughs) It's really funny. I watched the first half of this movie with uh, my girlfriend. And the second the screen comes on and it's this painting of Roland standing in front of a a free floating door, holding a rose, the tower behind him. And immediately I was like, oh, my God, it's Roland. And uh, my girlfriend, who is not a huge King fan, just looked at me like, (laughs) I'm glad you're happy. (laughs) I'm like, no, you have to get excited about this. I'm glad you're happy. Uh, I also got equally excited for the, the Thing poster that is. Yes. On the yeah, wall. that was nice. What? Okay. If you had to guess which book that was from, that art, what would you guess? Seven. Yeah, it's got to be seven because he's like in the Cancarno Ray, right? It, yeah. it is the I art just, from, I think, seven. This means that this story takes place on a level of the tower where they got really good dark tower movies and got one all the way to the end. Cause it's specifically a oh, movie poster. All right. I would officially live in this world. Missed and all. Missed and all. <laughs> to have those good dark tower movies. <laughs> I had a feeling that was going to be CM's knee jerk reaction. I didn't know. What well, would he, oh, but he, how for, but how frustrating is it that this means the seventh movie is about to be released. Oh, and, that's true. And then this apocalypse happens. So who knows? W- would it really be worth it being in a universe where you get six really good Dark Tower movies? You'd have to find a theater. Wow. That would be your journey. It wouldn't be like find a hotel, find gas, find food, find survivors. If you <laughs> find a theater, make it work. We're, <laughs> we're, we are leaving. We'll just, we're, we're us. We're leaving, mm-hmm. the, we're leaving the Midwest mm-hmm. on this mist journey, but we're going to head all the way to California because that's where the movie is because yes. the movie's not out yet. Yes. So we have to go track down the reel of the It is our Dark journey Tower to movie. the tower. That's it. It's our that's journey, our journey, to, journey the to the tower. tower. Oh, it's so meta. I love this. Somebody write the fanfic. <laughs> ben can't do it or else we'll all be banging in the car. Oh, Bad news, just, y'all. Whoa. I die immediately on this 
uh, in this story. <laughs> that, that's how Ben tells the story because he's narrating it from beyond heaven. <laughs> I had that thought while watching this movie uh, because the the I'm getting ahead of myself, but when the mist rolls in. I came to realize that I absolutely would have been a person that was like, I'm going to my car. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would have been like, ah, I like, I like when it's foggy out. I'm going to go enjoy this dead immediately. Crank up some mountain goats, drive in the mist. Oh, that sounds nice. See? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we uh, meet the Draytons. Uh, Tom Jane is, he's forever the Punisher and therefore will carry all the protagonist energy he ever needs. Yep. Uh, no, definitely 100% can't compare him to the book version because this. there's no way this man's a passive man. Ah, uh, no, he isn't. He's man. so, like, dick forward. I love it. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but it's wonderful. It, it is. It's the way he carries himself. Yes. yes. The beginning, just the tree through the window, like, all of the... I like that it jumps past the pre-storm and just gets us into the action. Mm-hmm. So the really the first thing we're seeing is them outside after the storm, surveying the damage. Billy is so high energy and happy that it makes me sad. Oh, it makes me exhausted. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's what it would be like to have a kid. <laughs> I'm just, it's how, knowing how he turns out, just seeing, uh, recognizing for the first time how happy and excited they made this kid. It was just a normal day. (laughs) Yeah, I've got to say that a second viewing of this movie is infinitely rougher than the first, just because the ending is hanging over the entire movie from the beginning. Mm, yes. If you know what's going to happen, you don't want to get to the point where you have to see it again. Also, if you're watching it in black and white, because I have the version that has black and white, it's even more depressing. That's my regret is that I didn't watch it in black mm. and white. I didn't want to track down my disc copy, so I just streamed it. In your house? Same. In your houses? You didn't want to track down your disc copies in your houses? No, I was I was sitting down already. <laughs> <laughs> Josh is sick. CM. Oh, okay. yeah. Ben, what's your excuse? <laughs> uh, I don't own physical media. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we we see the squished boathouse, uh, and then we get straight to Brent Norton, who's played by Andre Brower, who oh, is certainly so not good. the old man from the book, but he's a fucking delight. He has the best energy for that character. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Andre Brower. I I will watch in absolutely anything. 100%. The second he was on screen, I shouted, "Oh my god, Andre uh, Andre Brower is in this! I love him. He really rides the line of like, how do I put it? He balances the animosity that these two characters have against each other. Like, there's just enough there that you're like, you can sense the tension." between David and Norton. I don't know if this is the right way to describe it, but he's like just the classiest prick. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like you can tell when they refer to him being a a lawyer that Mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, I see it. I see all the charisma. Um, The way he reads David as they have that first conversation before responding. It's just, it's meticulous. I would describe him as meticulous the way yes. he plays this character. I, I love when Tom Jane David, I'm, I'm going to call him both probably, sorry. You're right, of course. I, I love when Tom Jane David, is, he approaches him. <laughs> oh, he's got three first names. <laughs> and, 
And he, he's, you can feel that he doesn't want to talk to him. You can feel he's not, I don't want to say scared, but just very cautious and like, my God, there's no matter what I say, how I say it, I'm going to piss this guy off and I don't want to deal with that. And it's just a really well acted moment by both of them. Mm -hmm. And the way before he goes over that Stephanie's like, don't start anything. And he's like, hey, one land dispute with this guy is enough to last me forever. Mm -hmm. So it um, that one line gives you all of the background to the tension of this relationship. And I it's it's so... <laughs> simple and I love it. It is, Josh, like you said, it is hard though to picture anybody not being like, yes, Tom Jane, whatever you say, because he is the Punisher. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the chemistry in the car on the drive over? Because that's the first real standout scene to me with these two characters as they're driving back and seeing the work trucks and then they see the military and they start discussing the Arrowhead project and they actually like share laughs together. It is all Andre Bauer for me. He <laughs> steals this movie. He sure uh, at least part of it. Yeah, yeah, does not stick around long enough. A lot of characters, I think, I wish had more screen time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just he's so charismatic that when David is talking to Billy later on, Billy's like, oh, you two are friends now, right? <laughs> <laughs> I bought it. Like, I, yes. I could see in an alternate non-horror mm -hmm. version of this movie, it being about two guys bonding over their smushed car. And it's just, <laughs> it's cool to, to see that that's so obvious that a little kid is picking up on it and commenting. And it's just, it makes that moment have a little more weight to it. And it's really sets you up for <laughs> how it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, it really sets you up for the, the moment after the bag boy, which yeah. we'll get to. So we get to the grocery store and I love the small detail that when he go when David goes to use the payphone, you can see that the pharmacy door is propped open. Yes, I saw right that there too. in front of it. It's such mm -hmm. a small detail. <laughs> you notice that uh, the pharmacy is named King's Pharmacy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really good. So they they're going in, you know, it's pretty much the same beat for beat as the story of them going through Except the store we, and seeing all this chaos. We do have a love connection with one of the the checkout gals and a military guy. They're making yeah. eyes. <laughs> they, you know, they definitely make eyes. Yeah, and this they, there's an MP that shows up to collect these guys at one point because leaves got canceled. And then the sirens go off and Dan Miller runs in <laughs> and bleeding from his face and yelling about the mist. And I gotta say, not how I pictured Dan Miller. Now that now that <laughs> I've built who Dan Miller is up in my head <laughs> in the novellas. A uh, real protagonist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it stands uh, out. Jeffrey Demon is in a ton of things, and he's great. Yes, but yeah, he is. not yeah. who I was picturing. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I agree with you to the point where I did not realize until just now who that character was. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! But I was later on. I have a note that says, "Ask Ben how excited he is that Dan Miller survived." <laughs> No, that is, that's great, except he's unrecognizable yes. as that character. Yeah, that character, he has none of the traits. Which is funny, because I want to say that the, my two, two of my favorite things about this movie is how quickly it just fucking gets to it. Yeah. It, it does not waste a ton of time setting up our, our basic premise. There's very little setup. It's just, you're in the grocery store, it's going down. It's great. And also, I, I think that the movie, for a movie with as many characters 
as there are, it does do a pretty good job at getting all of the characters' personalities mm-hmm. from the book into the movie. Because we get, I would say, far less Ollie in this than the book. Yeah. Am, am I incorrect? Yeah, I'd say so. Mm-hmm. But I think with as little as 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 crowded as the movie could feel, mm-hmm. it doesn't. Except now that you mention it, Dan Miller. Uh, <laughs> I think is maybe the one character that gets kind of uh, left out. What was your guys' impression watching the that mist rolling in, covering the parking lot for the first time? Our month of trying to make Twitch affiliate has completely ruined me for this because we're so steeped in like Silent Hill stuff. <laughs> and I watched the movie again, which has Laurie Holden as hot cop. And mm. it, when when that siren goes off and it cuts to Laurie Holden, Amanda Dumfrey, I'm like, uh, I'm just picturing Silent Hill. <laughs> so it, it actually gave me kind of like a more spooky vibe. It worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It happens quick, like the mist rolls in faster Fast. on screen than I was picturing in my head. It, watching that guy go out there and as the mist is coming to his car, it's like, no, 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 no. Don't do that <laughs> run. Also, we'll fucking get to it. But if that guy couldn't make it to his car that quick, there's no way that woman got home to her kids. This movie can go fuck itself on <gasps> Josh, that one point. No. <laughs> I, oh, I have a lot to say about that. I have a lot to say about that lady and her kids. Uh, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I'm happy I've been for waiting them. to talk about <laughs> it. Oh, God, I can't wait. The, I will, let's just say this right now. The Mist is the most fuck you Stephen King movie that exists. <laughs> it, it, it does so many little fuck you things, especially the end. And I love it for it. I absolutely love it for okay, it. Okay, no, we're not talking about the end. But I, as long as what you did pulled from something that was like hinted at or just sort of a piece of that already, I'm good. I'm good with it. <laughs> Perfect. Readers take a shot every time we say we can't talk about the end yet. <laughs> oh, be careful. It's going to be a lot. <laughs> So we meet uh, Amanda Dunfrey finally, who is she is instead now she's a teacher and she's new in town, (laughs) but they still kind of eye fuck each other in the grocery line for a quick second. It's Lori Holden. You have to. I mean, to be fair. So they, after the mist rolls in and then, you know, people are discombobulated. David goes back to the back to get that blanket for Billy. And I love like the small details, like uh, as David's going by, you can hear Norton in the background starting up his flat earthers initially. Mm -hmm. And it's all the most basic top of the head thinking. Like his his whole thing is like, all right, we need a plan. We got to find out what's going on out there. Fucking how? He's like, (laughs) "Ah, I'm sure other people are working on that immediately. It's just so fucking ridiculous. Well, it's, Uh, I mean, do you, do you instantly assume that civilization has completely fallen apart that like within a matter of, of minutes? (laughs) No, but it's the trying to take charge of a situation that you can have zero impact on. It's so it's, it's that quick latch onto an idea, I feel like. Uh, let's talk about the loading dock scene. Come on, guys. Let's <laughs> the, the great slapstick it. bit. <laughs> so, yeah, David goes on out to the to the loading dock, and it's full of smoke, and he finds the generator, and it's spewing exhaust everywhere. It's in this little cage. He turns it off, and as he's leaving, you 
slams his head <laughs> on a pole and then trips so over a box and falls down. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. great way to cut the tension. Needed more of it. <laughs> Honestly, as the movie goes on, I would have loved some more light slapstick. Uh, <laughs> There's some light slapstick later, like a guy waving a broom around and he gets hit. Oh my God, that scene. (laughs) It got a few laughs. You are right. Okay, this is also why I like the black and white version best because the special effects hold up better that way. Absolutely. You know, they're trying their best. But did it remind you guys the tentacle when it kind of reared up and it had like, it was very dream catcher movie animal to me like with the sort of mouth thing opening up yeah i i agree the design is very kind of similar these were made around the same time 2007 this was made okay when was dream catcher 2003 the the, yeah the graphics are about on the same level okay but for this i think the the monster design works so much better Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, mostly because of, well, mostly because it can get away with the being mostly unseen. And when it is seen, okay, I <laughs> this is so, I'm mad. <laughs> Everything has a fucking human-like face. Thank God we don't yeah. follow the tentacle to its end. <laughs> or its That's beginning. a real good point. <laughs> well, I love the tentacles coming in and they grab Norm, all that stuff. But mm. it's when the the one that is described in the book as five foot thick yeah, pushes its way <laughs> under the door and grabs the bag of dog food and lifts it up. And then you just see actually how big that tentacle is. Oh, it's so awesome. I think Chris Owen does a great job of just being a shit too. <laughs> and then being really <laughs> terrified when he's there, the tentacles are latching onto him and pulling away and it's just blood and gore. I thought that was great. That guy, what has that guy been in? Because this whole movie so much. is exclusively, hey, it's that guy, people. Yeah, a lot like, of great ha- actors in this. This movie is the half cast. the Walking Dead. And yep. then, because uh, they want the, whoever wanted uh, Tom Jane to play Rick Grimes. Yeah, Frank Darabont, who I didn't realize Frank Darabont was the guy that originally adapted The Walking Dead to TV. I which didn't is either. He was in American Pie, which is probably yep. what a lot of people recognize him from. And I thought he was in one of the Christmas movies as a kid, but maybe I'm confused. He's in a bunch of TV. Using him. Yeah. He's in a shitload of TV. He, yeah, it, he was like a late 90s, early 2000s, all of those teen movies. Mm-hmm. The When he rolls over and he's reaching his hand out and he oh. says, please, before he gets pulled back out. Mm-hmm. I love it so much I requested it for our live stream intro. That's how much I love that scene. <laughs> it's so great. And then, of course, beating the shit out of the two guys afterwards. And yeah. Tom Jane warming up those screams, getting those screaming muscles ready as he's like, I like that it's a real reaction. Like he almost, it seems like he's going to double over and vomit after. Like he doesn't know he's... how he's going to react and it's just right. happening to him. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Now, this is would they get out and have the conversation letting everybody know, and they bring in Brent Norton. When they the reaction Brent has in this, I want to know what your guys' take on it because I didn't feel like it was as willfully ignorant as the novella was. And I don't know if that's just Andre Brower's performance. <laughs> no, it, I agree. It, his refusal feels so much more. And I think it's because of the way 
it's shot and way it's framed, it definitely all of these, it's David, but also these two fucking hicks standing at the back of the store. I I could see Norton's like why he would think, oh, these are just these fucking assholes trying to prank me, I guess. It seems very reasonable. And I do wonder how much of that is the the race angle that we didn't think of in the book. Oh, because he has an edge to his voice when he says, you know, I come here, I spend my money here, I pay my taxes here, and I still see you talking behind my back. Yeah, I don't think his race was described in the book. No, we're, we're not given that. Uh, mm-hmm. And so having Andre Brower, I think he brings uh, just a little of that subtext in that line mm-hmm. reading. And it is very effective. Yeah, so it might not be... It's not the willful ignorance. It's almost more about who it is that is giving him the information. Yeah, there's a lot more behind what's going on than what we see. Just to Ben, I'm glad you mentioned the way it was shot. I forgot this movie was so much handheld camera shots. Yeah, it makes you feel like you're in the fucking store. It, It does, which is really cool because the short story, as we discussed, is so visceral. You In that scene, when everything's initially happening at the grocery store, you do really feel the tension from everyone and the anxiety, and it translates well with those handheld camera moves. I don't know why they made the tentacle disintegrate. Because that doesn't happen. And it doesn't And there's no really, reason for it to happen. Yeah, it doesn't because, really come into play. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't matter, I just guess. To, maybe it was just to be fucking cool. <laughs> I guess. It's Do you think very, they giggled? They were like, ooh, it disintegrates. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few things I feel like they shot, and then they're like, <laughs> Now, there are two... I, I picked out two original scenes. One of them is original in the world and one of them is a whole brand new creation or i guess two of them are brand new creations technically the first one is mrs carmody in the bathroom we get her and and amanda dunfrey so i guess what's strange despite the fact that i love how terrible mrs carmody is and Mm -hmm. i've seen this movie a hundred times but it's so much weirder hearing her all the time as opposed to hearing David say and she's talking again <laughs> to more people yeah. because I didn't imagine Mrs. Carmody as religiously devout as this version of her is as well what okay it's because in the novella it's it's more of a um the novella gives her more of that like crazy old might be a witch mm-hmm. energy And I feel like it is, the book version is a end of days, uh, apocalypse worshiper kind of a person where this Mrs. Carmody, it seems more of the, you're supposed to take her as this stern, straight-laced woman of God that everybody uh, sees that way. I don't know. What what was your take of that introduction? That's interesting because I took it in the book as, yeah, they, they compare her, there, there are parallels to her kind of zealotry mm. and with her being a witch or uh, her brand of spirituality being a cult in some way. Yeah. But I just took that as metaphorical, as just kind of saying there's not much difference between this overzealous mm-hmm. Christianity 
and someone who is going to cast spells and hexes on the people that she believes are against her. I think Miss Carmody, I, it's hard to say she's a highlight of the movie because <laughs> it, it, it is difficult, but I think the way they make her in this movie and uh the actress that plays her astounding that woman's got an oscar and she earned it yeah it's what does she have an oscar for who is she uh, <laughs> i didn't Mar- look it up marcia gay harden is her name okay i don't remember what her oscar's for though uh she she's amazing but i it's between mrs Caramati and a scene that is we'll get to eventually i i think if i had to describe this movie in one word it's frustrating <laughs> i see that okay frustrating movie to watch because uh between her it is just it, maybe it is my particular religious trauma that makes listening to a person like that unbearable between that and just the general hopelessness of the situation it's it's it can be a tough watch at parts i have I don't know if it's similar, but I have also have religious trauma and my reaction to her is the same. I think that making this more religious speaks more to like a current society's fears because we're, you know, no nobody's like scared of witches anymore. We're not burning witches at the stake that we've kind of shifted our focus. So this seems more realistic to have it be this overly religious person, you know, preaching like Old Testament style stuff. But the first time I watched this, I was in the theater and her performance was so effective that I wanted to leave. And (laughs) it hasn't been until like I've become more of a a movie fan and a horror fan in particular. And, you know, now I'll look into how it was made and all this other stuff and like educate myself on it that I've I really have come to appreciate how amazing she does at just anytime she's on screen she doesn't even have to say anything anytime you just see her in the crowd you are filled with anxiety and it's they oh. should just call this movie Mrs. Carmody <laughs> there there's a, a a face she makes and this is once again jumping ahead it's uh to when the biker is is going out to the parking lot yes. this rope and he he turns to her and says, ma'am, I don't mean to offend you, but I believe in God, too. I just don't think he's the bloodthirsty asshole that you think he is. <laughs> yeah. And she says something along the lines of, well, you just talk to the devil about that when you see him. Just <laughs> bring that up with the devil at your leisure when you see him. <laughs> yeah. And he <laughs> turns and walks outside and she makes a face that is the most smug thing I have ever seen in my life. And it is visceral, the the (laughs) hatred I have for this character, which, you know, your mileage may vary if if you like that. Like I said, uh, Keaton made it through half of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, all right, I'm going to just make a, a bold statement. We, as a group of people, uh, not a fan of seeing women get hit. However, Mrs. Carmody, every single time she gets hit in this movie, I cheer. Yeah, on board. <laughs> like, <laughs> for the the slap, the peas, the gunshots. Yeah. And it's amazing, <laughs> getting back to the scene we're in. Oh, yeah. Uh, God, we, we, between uh, Miss Carmody and Angela. Amanda. Amanda uh, in the bathroom, it's nothing 
the the true madness hasn't started yet. Like mm. people are kind of on the fence as to whether there's really a situation or not. And we see Miss Carmody praying in the bathroom, and she's saying, "I want to help these people. They can't all be bad." Uh, and there's a split second where you're maybe a little sympathetic, where she's like, I, I, I'm here to shine your light. And you're like, okay, that's not my thing, but whatever. But seeing her immediately be offered a hand, because Amanda comes in and says, hey, listen, I'm scared too. If you're scared and you need someone to talk about, a genuine, like, friendly human moment. you know yeah. moment and to see this person who was just praying in theory to be able to make these people's lives better to have her immediately say hey fuck yourself i am a victim and i know that you're against me makes you immediately understand her as a person mm-hmm. and know Oh, she's a bad person. And it's it's so vulgar. Like, I'll have a yeah. squat and shit myself out if I want a friend like you. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, it is so pointlessly mm-hmm. over the top mean. <laughs> it's <laughs> uh all right, let's uh Ben, you just mentioned it, so I want to jump right to it. The exit of the flat earthers. Because that's our next beat. Man, I <laughs> love the 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 biker is the guy who takes the rope this time. Mm. Thought that was a great change. I I loved how much more terrifying it was when David's letting the rope out and then it gets pulled through his hands. And that's not it though. It goes up <laughs> in yeah. the air and it starts maybe moving. M- it's crazy. It is maybe my single favorite detail in the whole movie because it is not remarked upon. Mm-mm. Yeah, why was it up in the air? <laughs> yeah, yeah, way up. Like the angle, knowing how long the rope mm-hmm. let out. Yeah. And then seeing the angle at which the rope is like running off into the mist. Whatever has him is too big. Too big. <laughs> <laughs> to see everybody just fall when that that rope let's go was really effective too because they all collapse like dominoes <laughs> the sound it makes when Ugh. it first tears through their hands and like it burns all their hands right away and they're like trying to hold on to it like it makes my hands hurt just thinking about the sound did either of you feel like david should have stopped pulling it in when it got to the blood like <laughs> he, he pulled no, it through he, his he, hands he like, to, don't touch to it don't t- well no, but it's just so gross. Like, why are you touching it? Stop. <laughs> well, put some gloves on or whatever. Use, yeah. He had the shirt. He could have used the shirt to Yeah. Pull. He's got probably wounds on his hands. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is if th- if this was a video game, that body would have come back and uh the like the shotgun would have been on the guy's belt and they would have acquired a new weapon. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now let's get to the uh the next of the completely original scenes. The break room with Private Jessup and Bag Girl. Bag Girl Sally. Can we call her Sally? Sally. <laughs> this was weird. <laughs> I. They didn't have chemistry, right? Because I didn't want to see no. them kiss. I didn't want them to kiss. <laughs> no, and it, it just doesn't move anything forward. This is the one scene in the whole movie that makes me go, "Why is this here?" This uh, Keaton turned to me and said, "Like, why does why is this happening?" What, what what purpose does it serve? Does it replace our scene we didn't get? Yes. 
That's what oh, I think. Oh, no fair. Oh. No fair. I want Tom yeah. Jane and Lori Holden to, to bang, <laughs> and I want to watch. Pitch black. <laughs> we'll just put the screen, like, turn the TV off so it's black, and that's it. I want to be the guy in the office. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's what it's supposed to be is a sense of intimacy, and I think it's they they sneak up uh, Jessup's fate on you, mm-hmm. and in very little ways they highlight him. He at first he's just one of the three soldiers, yeah, but he shares a look that makes him a little different, and then he gets highlighted a little bit more when the three of them are uh, sitting playing cards before they go help with the windows. They casually are building this character up a little bit more. Yeah, that's a good point. And I point. think it's just so you get the emotional payoff. Right. When no, that comes I... to end. It's like to realize this character has like a whole life and he just watched like the one girl he's ever loved later that night, uh, I actually agree that that was effective. I just didn't think they had chemistry, but yeah, no, they, I, they did a yeah. good job of making him also a character. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah. I, I wish I wish they'd had just. I wish I would have believed it. A I wish they would have just like high fived or shook hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think there were other characters I would have liked to see more of, right. rather than these mm-hmm. two characters that aren't really in the book. That I they are making out to be like secondary protagonists, even though they're totally not. Well, because that took away from both Amanda and David's character mm-hmm. development, too, yeah. because it took yes. away a huge part of kind of explaining what they were going through and how they were each coping. And I wonder mm-hmm. if like Frank Darabont wasn't into the affair thing or... Didn't think I audiences think it, would be. Into I think it? the audience wouldn't. He was afraid the audience wouldn't forgive the adultery uh, aspect of it because I think it's harder to convey in a movie as opposed to a book that it is not for the reasons that you are seeing on the screen. See, you, I, yeah, I it's hard that to show shit, that though. like that subtext. I love, I love like a complicated main character. Yes, it, it, it to me kind of smells like studio interference it was yes. safe. it was safe mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh let's get to the bugs and the flesh kites <laughs> flesh kites because man cm you already mentioned those bugs have human skull-like why, faces frank why uh what did you guys think about their giant back penises <laughs> could have been grosser could have been gross could have been further segmented in my opinion <laughs> i can't even comment <laughs> Yeah, the bugs, I don't know, the bug designs were, I think, the most underwhelming of all of the creature designs. They had a It Chapter 2 vibe at the with with the fortune cookies. Yeah. yeah. Sort of like borderline goofy. I was just very upset with the human features. <laughs> yeah. Um so when they showed up, I was kind of like, eh. But then when the big pterodactyls, the big skin pterodactyls showed up. I was back in because I think those things were scary as fuck. What is your uh, takeaways? What are any of like the major highlights of this whole first night action scene for you guys? Because it again, uh, I, I hate to say it, but with this adaptation, it's almost straight from the book. Sally's death, man, that is so freaking brutal because she's she doesn't die in the short story. So you're, you're not anticipating anything happening with her necessarily. And then she gets the, it's the bug, right? Yeah. Yeah, The bug, Mm -hmm. the bug gets her in the neck, like it stings her and she starts going into like shock and choking. Her airways are closing up and it cuts to Sam or, or that's his real name. Uh, 
cuts to the Jessup. yeah private Jessup and when it cuts back to her her neck is so much more swollen than I thought it could possibly be it's like and, what I imagined Captain Trips yeah she, uh, it looks like that of. like in the the adaptation too mm, yeah and she she dies an extremely extremely brutal death that that part sticks out to me in this scene most I think uh this whole scene I think is pretty great because of the insane escalation that happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it starts it starts with the bugs showing up and instantly uh, as soon as the bugs start landing people are running over and everyone has lanterns. And so they're putting these lanterns out at the window and more bugs are showing up. Oh they, and they have those huge lights in the store the light rig they set up. Yeah, just before this started, the two hicks from earlier are, like, setting up these big lighting rigs and are like, this is going to drain the batteries fast, so we only need to use them in emergencies. So you know that it's ha- uh, that they have <laughs> these. But the second people are shining these lanterns out, Keaton starts going, turn the lights off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> turn the lights off. And immediately, more bugs more bugs, and then the skin kite comes in, and they start hitting the windows and fracturing the windows. And Keaton is taking her glasses off and putting her head in her hands and going, "Turn the lights off." <laughs> well, and it's it's a it's effective though because we as the audience see the outside of the building from the mm-hmm. mist's perspective, so we yeah. can see just all the of those lights. And if you're yeah, if you're in the store, you're not. You're just trying to look out. You're not going to think about that. Yeah, which is immediately, and this is why I meant by the escalation, immediately is made worse because there's you. This is you feel the um, confusion and the just the chaos. Yeah. There's so many people and no one know what to do. So everyone starts working at odds against <laughs> yeah. each other as these two hicks start running around and turning on these high powered beacons. And Thomas Jane, I think, is the first one to realize and be like, turn the lights off. But already the whole place is lit up Mm -hmm. as the windows break and these things start flying into the store. And it all happens so fast. And then the torches come out and it gets even worse. And the the guy sets himself on fire. (laughs) Uh, Just, man, I, 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 oh, it got me. I, Here's something cool. That guy who sets himself on fire because I watched this twice back to back, kind of. They put that guy, he's like in the middle of all of like the prepping action. Like they put that actor prominently in those like in the background of scenes huh. getting like defense mm. stuff ready. It's very cool. cool. Uh, I got to get to the important question. Is Mrs. Carmody a servant of Randall Flagg? Okay, that was so freaky. So I assume you're talking about when mm-hmm. the bug comes up to her and lands yep. on her chest and does not kill her. And everybody, that was so upsetting. Everybody sees, because they know what happened to Sally. Everybody sees her just, uh, what do you even call that? Freeze? <laughs> no, the, no, I mean, yeah, her, um, just the way she sort of accepts what's mm. happening and yeah like she's confident she says, if it's god's will yeah. yeah yeah she is a she's definitely a, a flag girl <laughs> <laughs> and aren't, aren't we all flag girls <laughs> it's uh, the this 
scene is, again, frustrating. Yes. Because it is her building up this martyrdom, this, like, uh, all of these signs so that she can point out and say, see, I'm God's chosen. I, you should listen to me. Even though friendship with monsters isn't (laughs) a sign from God that I'm aware of. She, I mean, she was spared. And that's, I guess that's... It sucks. It's so fucking crazy. I just, this is, I feel like, I don't, I don't know when putting Easter eggs in movies became as popular as it did, but I love Frank Darabont's choice to put this Easter egg for King fans in this movie. Because it's not necessary. It's just a cool little thing. It's funny because people say, you know, my life for you is this reference to, you know, Flag and his followers. It's it's an omen reference, y'all. It's King took that from the omen, right? I think so. But oh, yeah. Because when I hear my life for you. Yeah. I Randall Flagg is not my first thought. My first thought is Dave. My first thought is Trash Can Man. This is... No, Ben is correct, except this is a Stephen King podcast, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, take that to your Omen podcast, Ben. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's jump to the pharmacy. Uh, This time it's David who is leading the charge because he got that Punisher energy. Great, great fuck you moment where they're all grabbing weapons to go to the pharmacy and McVeigh gives Jessup the knife to go to the pharmacy Mm. small detail Mm -hmm. but i fucking loved it (laughs) the i love the way they do the transition the walk through the mist to the pharmacy because it's so disorienting that you are you lose that sense of space Mm -hmm. and then they reach the pharmacy and uh shit goes wild again man the those spider creatures What'd you guys think of this, uh, the pharmacy scene? What's your favorite scene out of this pharmacy interaction? Mine is acid web because as, yeah. as upsetting as the dog-sized spider things are, the fact that they also, again, I know I said this in the in the book episode, but it is so upsetting that their webs not only can overpower a, a full-sized human, but they're acid why? It just seems like seems like Stephen King and Frank Darabont are just punching me in the gut and laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Watching yeah. the leg of the guy's pants slide off yes. is so fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, it's it's cool and the just the way the effect is done is the way the webs shoot out and then just slowly go slack is just mm-hmm. like a really cool visual look mm-hmm. um but nothing is worse than the guy falling over and exploding into spiders <laughs> that's so fucking insane <laughs> that was bad to look at oh, i didn't boy. enjoy that at all they'll have that they had to work so hard to pull him free uh what did you guys think this is uh where we're gonna start another change that we're gonna come that's gonna come to a head the they talk to the mp and the mp says it's all our fault I thought it was what cool. Do you think? I I liked it because we get hints of that again. I mentioned earlier if something has changed, but it's it's building on a moment that exists in the book that just wasn't yeah. explored. I think that's really cool, and this is where we're getting more information about the Arrowhead Project and kind of confirmation 
that these military guys are involved in this. And of course, where it ends up going is another just you feel so helpless. It's such a frustrating, extreme moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, uh... can I? I'm sorry. We didn't mention this because this happens after we see that Jim has, uh, played by the amazing William Sadler, has joined Mrs. Carmody's group, right? No, he, mm-hmm. he he's in the pharmacy right now. He goes with Oh, sorry. I skipped ahead to Jessup Yeah, there's like dying. a time jump. A little bit of a time a little, jump. Well, okay. so, so we have the, the pharmacy scene and uh, I, this is my note. Dan Miller gets to live this time. I bet Ben's super happy. <laughs> Didn't, Didn't notice. notice. <laughs> um, but they, I was just like, hey, I like that guy's eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, the, he fucking stabs that one and lifts him up and throws him to the side. It's so fucking mm-hmm. awesome. And uh, they get back and they, they make the sprint into the doors and pounding on them to get in. They get in, they're safe. And it just, it's crying and screaming and panic. And then it fades out, fades back in, and David is waking up. And they're like, yeah, man, you just walked over here and shut off. Yeah, for like three hours. I, mm. I love too, when he first, when they first get back in, he, everybody has, like, I would just be screaming, spiders, spiders. <laughs> everybody <laughs> has this look on their face, like they've seen the worst thing in the world. And he runs to, like, Billy runs to him and he grabs him and he holds him. And he's looking over Billy's shoulder at Amanda, who's nearby. And for just a moment, we get Mrs. Carmody looking at David, looking at Amanda. And and again, we don't yeah. get that scene with them, but it's, I think that's for fans like oh yes. she sees there's there's this connection there but yeah for him to just pass out for three hours is like ooh. yeah then we find out we yeah that uh jim has joined mrs carmody's flock and unlike in the <sighs> book the her flock is already at like 25 yes. people in this I, version i have to give william sadler a shout out though because he's he, he always plays like that guy it's amazing he's a great character actor but it, it the way that it's edited, like to cut to him just with the most like exuberant, I'm a good little church boy look and tone. Yeah. It, he pulls it off. So you're like, oh, Jim, no. <laughs> you you get the idea that he has completely snapped and is going all in on this because he can't accept anything else. Yeah, and it's it's made that moment makes it more effective when they're trying to talk to Jessup and they're like, okay, let's go in the back where we have some privacy, and you see him see them do that. Yeah, she's like, oh, he's he's so fucked right now. <laughs> well, let's talk about that back room where we have we uh, we find our hanged soldiers and we get we get a little bit of information. Uh, instead of this time Ollie being the one to describe how they did it, Jessup, they they show him his two fellow soldiers and he's like, they said they were going to do it. I didn't think mm-hmm. they'd do it. And starts kind of owning that they heard people ask, heard people say, like, mm-hmm. say they're going to start pointing some blame. And then that's when Jim fucking out of nowhere grabs him and throws him into the light of day. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the sacrifice of Private Jessup, our other big new scene. Uh, man, it's sad. It's of all the tough watch scenes in this movie. I think this is like the second toughest watch. It makes you feel completely out of control for a character that I do not believe gets a single line in this movie. Uh, the cook 
mm. um, is a very scary presence. Yup. Because you see him as as uh, Jessup is being like shoved around this crowd and being beaten, and uh, and Carmody making her her speech about how it is it is their fault and they did it this to us. You see this enormous dude in like an apron just looming in the background and granted we know we know what his deal is but i i think just seeing him there would have been uh enough uh, <laughs> because as he's being pushed around he finally makes it his way over to the cook who uh takes a large knife and mm. stabs private jessup in the stomach the knife that he mm. gave jessup and yeah. Jessup gave back to him when they got back from the pharmacy. Ugh. Oh, fuck in a. It's awful. What did you think of, of what Jessup had to say defending himself to Mrs. Carmody about, I, I know they're doing stuff. I, I, and, and she berates him for saying, for, for, she berates him for not knowing, like the fact that he says they're doing stuff. And she's like, oh, stuff. Ooh la la stuff. I, I hate to agree with Mrs. Carmody, but it's a, it's a weak excuse. <laughs> <laughs> no way, he's a private he working I'm, I'm just on saying, a major military yeah, base. He, he probably guards the front door. I'm not saying he deserved to be killed. I'm just saying he's he has more knowledge and he's pushing it all off. And it's not his fault, but I get why she has that leverage and can rile everyone else up. I just I, it's so crazy. It's it's awful. <laughs> it is. Especially because you would you know that let's say, you know, whatever Project Arrowhead is, there's no way they'd let a local no secrets for sure like mm-hmm. anything of value they'd never tell a local uh is this the scene where mrs carmody blames the mist on going to the moon <laughs> yeah i think so <laughs> yes splitting god's <laughs> atoms shedding oh, on his house funny. which i believe is the moon uh, yeah it's so, <laughs> so that rant is insane <laughs> and it's so crazy because then you see that at this point now it is the entire store and mm-hmm. David's people. Yeah. That's that's the line. And they throw Jessup outside and he turns back around and he's like begging to be let back in as he's bleeding and has his hand on the wall. And then that mantis fucking Ooh. thing just boom up and gone. The bloody handprint left on the, the door is the other like teehee moment where I thought right. they filmed that and then they high-fived each other and I yeah. agree. Ah, <laughs> did we um, um did we pass over the sweet like stingers by Ollie played by Toby Jones when he and Amanda are talking or is that coming up? Because he's he's got some amazing lines this guy and he is bleak <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> Like, like what? So it's, she's, I think it's when they were having the conversation earlier about what they were going to do. And I'm trying to remember what he said exactly, but he was talking about just, he's been a real smart ass about how dumb people are. And I I just loved that they Mm -hmm. gave, that they gave him those moments because the actor does this really great job, like being being this guy who seems just like this really mild mannered. Yeah, yeah, I, I got it. It's 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 in the back room with the hanged soldiers because they're talking about they can't let this information get out because people mm-hmm. will lose their minds. And he basically says at one point, 
you put two of us in a room and we'll dream up reasons to kill each other. Yeah. Why do you think we invented politics and religion? And then he <laughs> yeah. drops, he drops yeah. the mic and he literally walks off stage. It's right. perfect. <laughs> I, I love the guy that plays Ollie. I think mm. he does a great job. It's just this, that line in particular made me realize something. And it is truly, it is completely on me. It is not anything about this, the movie. It's just, I, I think my tolerance for nihilism has a, a severely decreased as of, I don't know if this is a recent change, but like <laughs> we, we kind of hinted at that being the, the point of the story, I guess. Yeah. It's just when it's laid out in such a fucking uh, cynical way. And this is like, basically that line seems to be like a thesis statement for the movie. And I just can't get with that. I, it is too, too cynical a look at the human condition. Ben, I I could be wrong. So feel free to disagree. I agree with you completely on that. But I think that's now, I think in 2007, that felt kind of a little more to us, to people of our generation, mm. more meaningful and fresh. And we're, we're probably in the position of the older generations who, you know, we're repeating history like over and over again, just being fucking idiots sure. about everything. They probably heard that and thought, oh, okay, yeah, here we go. And now that's where we are in 2022. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's no, what, I've, uh, no, I was just going to say, no, no. I, and I agree. I definitely, when this first came out, I was ex. Extremely nihilistic because <laughs> uh, I was just younger and angry all the time. And, you know, it was kind of a thing in the early mid 2000s. It was energizing like. and not as depressing as it is to be nihilistic now because we're yeah. old, you guys. It's just now in 2022, I'm like, well, I I need to believe that humans are better than this. And we just, if, if David had been working to to build community in with these people rather than just worrying about self-preservation than this feeling of like bloodlust like you you have to work against nihilism mm. Mm. and this this whole movie and book is just like nihilism is is the base of the universe and it's like no nah, I don't I don't agree with that mm. I think I think one of the reasons it's different now also is that we just the past few years alone have been we've been a part of so many social changes and massive cultural movements that whereas back in the early 2000s where nihilism everybody sucks and everything's awful and that's just the way it is because mm. people are awful now we are coming into a time in our society that it's man real change can happen but you got to yes. buckle down and be a part of that change and and had our asses kicked the last few years yeah. like we we here mm -hmm. had a flood there were other horrible natural disasters all over the world mm -hmm. and then covid hit and it's people want to be more optimistic and hopeful and have something to look forward to right now yeah we got yeah. taken down real hard and we <laughs> yeah. uh, fought back more or less together in certain and in, in some areas <laughs> all right let's go to the morning of leaving the store and the confrontation with the cult of carmody uh, at the front of the store 
It's it's disgusting that she's drinking milk straight out of the bottle. For some reason, that part, I was like, oh, she's nuts. Well, because it's that, we know the milk is That cooler's been shut off for days. Yes. She's drinking it straight from the glass jar like it's, like it's whiskey. And something about that is so upsetting to me. It is a very weird choice. I'm not sure why. I love it. If I ever get the chance to recreate that scene in something, I want to. It, was she drinking that milk because it was in their bags? Probably. Oh, what a power move. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She took their groceries and was like, oh, fuck, I just crack one, crack a cold one open with the boys. <laughs> oh, it's so intense. They The same thing when they start calling for sacrifice mm-hmm. must be from one of their numbers. And you see the whole store is moving in on them and it calling out for the boy. Mm. It Not having the sex scene also makes the calling Amanda the whore not mean anything. Right. And I think that's why but, we got that look where she saw them looking at each other. It was... <laughs> It, yes, yeah, it wasn't as effective. No. Well, yeah. if I ever looked at Tom Jane, it would probably be whorish. Just like, <laughs> it wouldn't be my fault. But <laughs> yeah, you're just a human that has eyes. I get it. I uh, here here's another fuck you from this movie that it, at this big moment the gunshot goes off, shooting Mrs. Carmody in the chat in the stomach, which is what we get in the book. Mm-hmm. And then we get a gunshot to the head, and you're like, "Hell yeah!" But that extra shot is what ultimately fucks David. <gasps> yeah. Oh. So you cheer for it, and then later you're like, "Oh fuck!" If they hadn't shot that, uh, if he I hadn't didn't gotten even the headshot. Yeah, I hadn't. Either. I didn't even. Oh wow, that's actually that's so really upsetting. interesting. There's, I told you this movie's full of them and I fucking love it. Because it makes it almost seem like that second shot was wrong. Right. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So we're getting, oh, we can't talk about the ending yet. Um, well, we, like, we're almost there. Yeah. Yeah. Because it makes me, this whole movie, watching, uh, watching it, I was stressed out. Yeah. Because just <laughs> knowing that the ending was coming. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie, I kept thinking with the the ending in mind, why? Why does the ending happen the way it does? And as we we get closer to it, I was the more I was like thinking back to what the ending was and being like, maybe I don't know how I I don't know if I like the ending as much as I thought I did. Because other than the fact that it is a gut punch, like I I was trying to piece two and do together as to like. The, this unbelievable tragedy that he is forced to go through feels like punishment. Mm-hmm. Like, why would this guy it's have to suffer this bad? And having that be like that that second shot to Miss Carmody, which wasn't necessary. They could have shot her in the stomach and got away. Hell, he could have shot into the ceiling and probably they would have been able to get away. But that second shot is kind of like, uh, it, it was overkill. It was too much. It pushed them over the edge from being surviving to being, you know, uh, complicit in a death it reminds me of the conversation we had in cell about when when they killed the phoners like that one group and then they figured out what was happening and then they kept killing them yeah it's like they didn't need to cross that line and for it god or karma or whatever forces him Mm -hmm. to go through what he goes through 
See, I have, I have a theory that Ollie shot that second shot because he thought he missed because the glass bottle shatters uh, when he gets that first shot off at her. And w- with everything going on, not being able to like take a sec and know for sure, it was a, I, in case I missed, I need to take this shot that I can see if I get or not. Because that's yeah. what, because because honestly, if in in the novella, you're I think you're right. They could have fired one into the air and been fine and left because there were there weren't as many mm-hmm. in the movie. There's it's the whole store mm-hmm. killing her is the only thing that really breaks the spell and lets people let them leave. Uh, they make the the run out to the cars that poor Ollie sliced yeah. in half. <sighs> spiders so, everywhere. <laughs> spiders. Yeah, we we get a final tour of our favorite killing things, uh, killing everybody. <laughs> They do the fuck you drive past the window. And I was like, and if they hadn't taken that other shot, Ollie could have just shot through the windows of the grocery store. <laughs> like, ah, you're fine. Uh, all right. Now we're we're getting we're getting to the end. So they return to the Draytons. Any thoughts on seeing getting to see Stephanie? Uh, I've got closure, I guess, on what happened with her. It's interesting because we we get this very brutal ending, which we're about to talk about, but Right here, this is, it would have been, I think it would have been almost equally as, not equally, it still would have been brutal for the movie to show us him getting to that spot where he can't get to the house and he doesn't know and he has to make Mm -hmm. the choice to leave and save the rest of them. It's like they traded gut-wrenching, heartbreaking (laughs) brutality with how they end it. In this moment, when we actually do see Stephanie, the spiders got her, presumably it looks like she's caught up in a web, and he is crying over the tree that allowed the creatures to get in because it came through the picture window, which is probably why I was thinking about that in the short story. Yeah, movie. he has yeah. a very weird response because he's just sitting in the car and he's just like rattles off some weird non sequiturs. He's just like looks at her up there and he's like tree <laughs> that's all he's saying it, it, it was his grandpa's tree yeah which she had commented on in the first scene when it fell like this like oh man i'm sorry that your grandpa planted that tree and it was like this this sad moment so for that to be the thing that kind of killed her in a way yeah so we get the the final drive and the god monster Thoughts on the God Monster, guys? Not big enough. No, it was really cool, actually. <laughs> I, I could see, that. <laughs> I could see, I I could see it. Yeah, I loved the. It's very uh, Lovecraft for me. Yeah. And I loved yeah. all the Extremely things scary. coming off of its body. <laughs> yeah. It made me wonder. I'm like, is that the thing the tentacles were from? Because it's absolutely chock a block with tentacles. Yeah, everything has too Ooh. much stuff. <laughs> Do you get, all these bug creatures have too many things? You have a face yeah, and acid to- web? No. <laughs> editing <laughs> monsters are supposed to take a look in the mirror before they go out and remove one tentacle <laughs> <laughs> all right let's let's do it we're here we're out of gas there's only one thing left to do in this podcast uh shoot each other <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's david. how this podcast ends <laughs> oh my gosh not this episode but this podcast <laughs> which one of us is i call david <laughs> Damn it. i'll shoot you guys for you <laughs> but i'm so good at yelling <laughs> okay that that so they're in the car and they run out of gas and there's this very spooky like so, like the the music is like this chorus of voices and it's it's very effective i thought for the scene and they can't see anything there's just fog everywhere the things they could see were horror and i love the the look that 
David gives everybody. Like they don't have a conversation about it. They just Mm -hmm. share these moments and the camera holds on each of them for long enough to you to feel like there's this exchange happening Except for with Billy, because he's asleep in Amanda's yeah. lap. And it, it's, so it's it's Billy and Amanda and David in the front seat, and then Mrs. Repler and Dan Miller yeah. in the back seat. We did not talk about Mrs. Repler enough. <laughs> <laughs> we did her a disservice. Frances she Sternhagen. Rules. She's amazing. <laughs> she yeah, flamethrowers that fucking spider. <laughs> the looks that all of the adults in the car give each other is mm-hmm. such an effective mm-hmm. way of like letting the audience have the same thoughts that yes. all of the characters in the car are having yeah. and kind of coming to that conclusion of like, no, that that's not how this movie's going to end. Is it? No, they that, are not gonna. You think that for so long, the first time I saw it, I was telling myself something's going to happen. Something they're mm-hmm. not going to, they're just teasing us. They're not going to go through with it. So when he, he opens the gun and he sees that there are only four shells and they're like, Oh no, something it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's this is a something that I have kind of a problem with. Because oh, I, I also have a problem. We'll see if it's the same one. I can't imagine with everything these people have been through. I know that mm-hmm. the monsters are horrifying. I know that all this is crazy. Mm-hmm. There is no way I believe that either Mrs. Repler or Dan Miller wouldn't volunteer to go so that he had enough bullets to do what he had to do for like the idea that that man's going to have to kill a son. You do not make him have to figure something out. I had kind of a brief thought similar to that, but then I guess my Dan Miller would have done it in a heartbeat. (laughs) I excuse a lot of the choices that are made in this because like we're seeing what they can create with special effects Mm. and practical effects effects, but you have to know in your heart that what they're actually seeing is so unnatural and upsetting that I think it would make you like it just so I can see how they would be so hopeless and maybe less willing to sacrifice themselves to whatever is out there in the mist, especially after seeing what happened with the first, you know, the flat earthers. We didn't say this, but what he pulled back was the, the like legs of the biker. It was just the legs. Yeah. Yeah, But I guess all with the exception of the MP, all of the deaths have been quick, like extremely painful. Sure. Not Sally's. Oh yeah. Sally's is a lot of chokey, but it was still, again, that was like less than 30 seconds. I don't. That's too fucking long, Josh. What are you even no, talking I'm, about? I'm sure. I, I'm, ish, I'm sure that 30 seconds of dying is more than enough. <laughs> what a statement! But, uh, but if you, I, I don't know. I just I, okay. I, I well, couldn't imagine. Anyway, I, um, I have a different problem with yeah. this, and that's you can totally kill five people with four bullets if you try oh, hard enough. Seriously, that's a very good point. Really? Yeah. Line two of them. Yeah. Up. The what if Hell, the bullet gets lodged it's in the fine. skull? Bullets don't always go all the way through. I don't know what kind of gun it was. Well, it's a it was yeah. a revolver. It's a it was a powerful. It's a it is a hand cannon. Nice. If if Amanda would have just put Billy over her shoulder, okay. okay. I'm I'm picturing her holding Billy's head up to her head. That oh is such gosh. an awful scene. Be like, Jesus. all right, shoot, we're no, ready. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah Josh, you, it's you, a terrible you, idea. You tell you tell Dan Miller and Mrs. Ruppler to kiss. <laughs> <and> then, <laughs> Jesus Christ. We gotta move on. All right, fine. Grimmest shit I've ever heard. Wow. I'm glad you didn't direct this. 
Oh, I'm sad, Josh. Your like Zoom cuts off your laugh sometimes. Oh no! So that we're makes not me sad. <laughs> so he does it. The camera jumps to outside, and we just see the flashbangs of four shots go off. And oh, also to add insult to injury, when he snaps the chamber back, Billy of course wakes up. That so he has to brutal. look his son in the eyes yeah. when he shoots him in the face. You see Billy's eyes widen before you cut to outside the car. Yeah. And then when we are back in the car with David, I also thought Tom Jane did a great job of of reacting, like having several emotions he went yes. through and sort of just having them happen to him. I thought that that was really well done. He destroys the emotional arc of this ending. He yeah. at the... I don't know how Tom Jane was ever the same after doing this scene. When he puts the gun in the the barrel of the gun in his mouth and he's like crying and, and pulling, pulling the trigger. And, oh, oh just dry firing. He's like I think it's it's worse that he's not crying. He doesn't try to cry. Yeah, he can't. He's well, he's like emotional yeah. screaming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like that's it's so I think it's it's so real. And I think that's what I dig about it, is it feels like such a it's such a fucking brave choice to show that deep. I and I think that's pain. why I don't get upset. And I know you guys are upset about the next part primarily, but I think that's why I don't get upset about the ending because they went for something that they were effective in pulling off. Mm-hmm. Because after, do one of you want to talk Let's, about what uh, happens? So he gets out of the car and he yells at the mist to come at me, bro. <laughs> and the military comes out of nowhere from behind him in not just like one, it's a tank, mm-hmm. and then several convoys full of people, soldiers with flamethrowers. They're burning trees and burning creatures, and as they're burning stuff away, the mist is going by. So by the time he's on his knees watching all this go by, no one even gives him a second glance. Uh, and the sun is starting to come out and he's starting to see the sky and see far out. And then the thing that the only thing that makes me hate this ending, the stupid woman from the beginning who had to go get her kids is on one of the trucks. She's not okay. stupid. It's not She's her fault. stupid and it's a bad choice. I would have nope, gone to I get my kids. I cannot too. disagree more. all right man i'm just gonna sit back (laughs) oh hold on this is my my favorite thing here is that uh and then it ends with tom jane and i've shared this fun fact on a bunch of other podcasts when they bring us on to talk about the mist but in the script it's basically it says david screams as though he'll never stop screaming Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah (laughs) it sounds like it yeah, um, can't, cannot disagree more, Josh. Sure, um, I it. think the woman who, uh, it just so happens to be the lady that plays Carol from mm-hmm. The Walking Dead. Yep. She, uh, it, I think this is the only thing that saves the ending for me. Because, like I said, leading up to this, I was like, what, what is the purpose of David going through this unbelievable tragedy? Why? What are you trying to tell me, movie? Right? And... When the military comes out of the mist and things starting to clear, he is on his knees on the side of the road. And this convoy that is at the first shot, all you see is this convoy and they're all kids. It it seems like there are a lot of children on this convoy to make you think, "Uh oh, obviously, like his kid could be with them but isn't and then it shows a closer as the convoy is driving past and this woman from the beginning of the the very start 
in a scene I don't know if we even touched on because it is basically word for word from the yeah. book. It is the woman that says, my my little girl is watching over my son. She's only eight years old. I have to go. I have to save them. Won't anyone come with me? And she like specifically looks at David and says, you, won't you come with me, please? And David says, I have my own son to look after. So when after this his son, that he abandoned this woman so that he could take care of his own son has been taken from him. And she is driving by and gives this look of like, she's looking down at him, literally, from the back of a truck. The message seems to me to be David could have gotten out. Any of them could have gotten out if they would have had the faith to follow this woman and save her if they would have been less interested in their own self-preservation and helped a stranger go find her kid that stranger survived that stranger's family survived but by being selfish and staying behind all the people in the grocery store put themselves through into this hellish situation and i guess that's kind of the divine punishment of having this tragedy of having to kill the last survivors and your son is for the sin of not being there to help others, I guess. So it's not nihilistic, Ben? Is I, it's still really <laughs> fucking nihilistic. It's still, it seems a little maybe even mean-spirited because it is just so so over-the-top tragic. I don't know, but that is the only, like, that, whether you agree with it, whether it's effective or not, I would argue, I can argue, you know, but at least it was a nod for me. It, it seemed like a nod toward like, there's a reason. Like they thought about, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't just, just to be cruel. Hmm. It, yeah. It wasn't okay. all just uh loss for the sake of be- because that's the way the world is. I don't know. Yeah. It gave it uh, more awful meaning. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's very interesting. So the hero of the story, in, in order to be saved, you have to get others to sacrifice their life for your cause. I love when Josh call, phrases, phrases yes. things no, I'm like in. That's I'm not in. what I'm saying at that's all. Ex- that's exactly what that <laughs> no, it is saying. It is not self-sacrifice. She's re- she's rewarded, and any anybody else who would have thrown the their lives and the people around them in with a stranger, like if they had dropped themselves. To this woman's cause, it, it, the the reward is drop your life for me, and I will lead you into the promised land. No, they're not. <laughs> it is it is not giving up your life. It is the basic human uh, like kindness is good. <laughs> like no, I think is it, my my argument against that is that we see somebody just outside the store that first man who's running out to his car we see the fog take him the mist cover him and then he's screaming in death like it's it's that close all the people in here heard it sure it's, it, it is i don't think i don't think it's fair to consider it uh, the massive earthquake the 
the circumstance they're all in. And especially for like for David, I know that if if I was in that situation and I had my daughter in a place and somebody was like, I somebody help me get home to my kids, leave your kid here or bring that kid out into this dangerous place with me, but come with me because I deserve your help. Uh, listen, I'm entitled. I, I'm, not... I'm entitled to your help to get home. I am not looking at this as a real situation that happened. Of I'm course. looking at I mean, this as a story that is trying to tell it, it, stories should be trying to to have some sort of message in, in my opinion. And this is just the closest I can get to like, what's your point? The mist. What, what are you trying to tell me? And that's the, that's the closest I can. <laughs> I don't know. I saw her drive by on this convoy and I went fine. <laughs> like, uh, okay. I guess, I guess I kind of get what you're going whether it was a, an effective message, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that's, I kind of think, what Frank Darabont was trying to get across. I think. Maybe. Where, where do we all fall on the, the ending, love it or hate it? I'm fine with it. I like the original ending from the novella, but this... It, I'm honestly, I'm happy with either ending it because one of them leaves me just with this, this whole world in my head of possibility. And is it the entire planet? What's going on? What's going to happen? And I enjoy that. And then the other one just, just punches me (laughs) right in the face Mm. and does something that has me leaving the theater with okay this ending a movie ending has not no other movie has done this to me i think about this ending it's the first thing i think about when i think about the mist and there's always a debate in my head about it and even the discussion you guys just had how many movies leave mm. you with all of this stuff to just dig mm. into and for that i i appreciate either one i'm sincerely happy with either one which is not me copping out because i know my answers are always (laughs) all of the things but it's uh, i guess i would watch the ending depending on the mood i was in (laughs) and do you want to cop out uh, fuck you josh (laughs) fuck you it is fine it depends on what your what your mood is (laughs) yeah i guess it's like if you want a movie to make you feel strongly one way or the other this is a very effective ending it is i you're gonna have a strong reaction uh positively or negatively and a lot of the time i i do tend to think like even i i like stuff that makes me feel bad i i (laughs) i don't mind things that are difficult to watch or that bring up complicated feelings Mm -hmm. i just i don't think this movie sets up this ending honestly i think up till the ending it is a really really good solid monster flick but by making the ending this much of a bummer there isn't the framework to support it i think if if it would have played up david's like why this is happening what it give me something other than this is just a guy that this is all happening to i don't know i don't know it's uh your mileage may vary (laughs) all right uh something just occurred to me i'm gonna throw it out there because you're both smarter than i am what if the ending because the so much of the the story boils down to hope one way or another what if we say 
after uh, like how I, I mentioned the monsters out there, right? At the beginning, nobody should want to walk that lady home. What if she actually makes it because she left completely hopeless that she would make it home to her kids ever? She just couldn't sit by and wait in case. she If she had no hope that she would make it, she went out in that mist and she made it. Every single other person who enters that mist that dies is somebody who went out knowing they're going to find rescue, knowing they're going to solve this, knowing they're going to fix the generator. Everyone had the hope that what they were going to accomplish was going to happen and they all died. Is is that anything? You've kind of made it more religious. (laughs) It reminds me of like the, um, the Old Testament God who demands a sacrifice. Was it Abraham? to kill like her son that she like, was willingly walking to sacrifice for yeah, the sake of her children because miss carmody miss carmody let that bug on her and she was willing to sacrifice herself and she survived fuck i'm back at it again i love the ending the ending's great <laughs> i will back it a hundred percent any given day i thought I you hated a, the ending i know i i love famously you said i love ben the were ending just fighting no like i i hate a married couple the, about i hate it. the woman <laughs> Oh, okay. I see. I hate Carol. Okay. I don't hate Carol. It made me so relieved to see her because it's, she walks out and she is so heartbroken in the way she describes her kids. It honestly, for me, it was like a little bit of like, okay, somebody, something was good for one person. Thank God. (laughs) Also, what I do kind of love is you, I bet many people didn't see her on their first watch because they were still so blindsided because I sure didn't. Mm -hmm. First time I watched this. It took to like the third time I saw this movie to even notice that was the woman. Oh, really? No, I <laughs> yeah. I, I saw that right away. <laughs> no, I was like, yeah, got me later. I guess I thought of, I thought she was effective for me. I thought about her after she left the store. All right. Uh, we are, let's, before we get into ratings, I did some extra credit because I watched the novella cut. Uh, Kevin Carstens uh, made a fan-made novella cut of this movie uh, that you can watch on his website. We'll put it in the show notes. I watched it too. Oh, yeah. And see, I watched it too. <laughs> and I also listened to the 3D audio version mm-hmm. of The Mist. So I just want to throw out some quick highlights from that experience. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll do the novella cut first. So CM, you can jump in if there was stuff you want to talk about. But I'm going to run through the changes. So the novella cut is basically he took the movie, took deleted scenes, took some stock footage, and shifted this movie into being as tight to the novella as possible. So there are two scenes added back in. First is in the very beginning, there's an extended scene where Norton comes over and Stephanie is talking to him and we get a chance to see that scene before Mm -hmm. they leave Mm -hmm. for the store. So it's just a little more world building. We get to know Stephanie a little bit more. Obviously why they cut it in the main movie, but it was cool to see it in this novella cut. There's a conversation with Hattie Terman, the conversation of like, I know my husband's dead. Do you feel like your wife's dead? That's put back in there. He cut out anything with Jessup. There's no Jessup at all in the movie, uh, except for the scenes where he has to be in. Um, (laughs) And they cut the MP out entirely. So any of that, this is definitely what the mist is, Mm -hmm. is out the sacrifice, all that is completely out. Um, and they edited out the that, that bathroom scene mm-hmm. also. Uh, and then there's extra footage added in when they're driving through the mist. And in the ending, used stock photo of a Howard Johnson's and uh, cut out the car. So you see the car parked in mm-hmm. front of the Howard <laughs> Johnson's. And then it cuts to some of the writing from the letter, the very end of the letter. 
And then it zooms out to see the entire planet is covered in mist. And it looked like there were things possibly sticking up out, like yeah. into the atmosphere, impossibly. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really a good instincts on on what he edited back in and cut yes. out because mm. I didn't really pick up. I was like, wait, what's different? Except for obviously <laughs> the ending. So it it still had a really good flow and it, it was good. I liked it. It cuts it down to with what he cut out and put back in. It's like an hour and 45. So it's still 15 minutes less mm-hmm. than the original. So it still moves along. Yeah. But yeah, it was a it was a very cool experience. It definitely felt more like the novella. Yeah. And, and it gives us a chance to watch the ending we want, which is cool right. too, which I appreciate. <laughs> now I want to jump over to the 3D audio, unless you had something else you wanted to say about the novella cuts, Ian. No. Okay. The fucking A, what an interesting way to tell this story. It is an hour and 12 minutes. It's on YouTube. We'll put that the link in the show notes so you can go listen to it. A few things off the top. The actor who plays Billy is super fucking annoying. <laughs> the There is an insane <laughs> amount of product placement. Oh. Just like, bring me a Pepsi. How about that Coke? Or like, it's just name brand fucking everything. Mm. And and it, it gets kind of annoying. They do some changes. Like at the very beginning, before David goes into the grocery store, he actually goes into Mrs. Carmody's store. And there's a dialogue scene between David and Mrs. Carmody. Interesting. Yeah. And that's kind of like a, a little bit more of the um, hinting at her, uh, the power she has over his wife kind of a thing. But the big hit is all of the audio chaos and all of our big action scenes. So the mist rolling in, you hear all this chatter. The line, uh, give me my mushies, is in the is like a small <laughs> line that you can hear it in the background, which is fucking great. The lady with the kids at home runs out and screams and dies in the mist, as she should. Then the the generator, like pretty much generator, flat earthers, the big night, all those big things they layer the conversation mm. in the store. Mm. So you're getting the main character's dialogue, but also like That's some cool. side conversations. Yeah. And uh, I talked, I already talked about how they explain the the bugs, but mm-hmm. all of the violence is just graphic enough to be easy to listen to. <laughs> the sex scene is hilarious. Oh <laughs> the actress who does Mrs. Carmody is so over the top villainous. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and it's amazing. And uh, monster noises. Monster noises were top notch. And at the very, very end, you do hear static. And if you're not listening for it, you will miss the Hartford. It's so fast. So good. (laughs) Highly recommend it. Now, let's rate it. Let's do it. Sorry. Can I interject one more thing before we rate it? A listener of ours, Melissa, sent us a question that really upset me to my core. It's a great question. And I just want to know your guys' thoughts on it before we rate this. She mentioned if Steph had come to the store, David's comments to himself about the power Miss Carmody has over her, would she have joined Miss Carmody's group? Oh, and would Jesus. there have been this family dynamic in the store of her and David and Billy? Yeah, she for sure would have joined. Yeah, I, she said that to us. I was like, she, well, don't make me think about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Billy, I... Yeah. I Here's, here's how that story goes. David is more ready to put himself in harm's way when people bring him in on shit. So he takes more risks. And then mm-hmm. while he's gone, she brings Billy to Mrs. Carmody. And like, so they're fighting yeah. over basically Billy at that point, him and his wife. Oh. <laughs> okay, I just had to throw that up there. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and then they get in the car and he makes Stephanie give Billy a kiss on the head and he pulls the gun out. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> 
That's how it ends. All right. <laughs> who wants to go first? I'll go first. Pretty good. I, I remember really liking this movie. It is like I like I said earlier, it is a really solid monster flick. It, it's got what you want. Big crazy monsters. It move it moves quick enough. I think uh, there aren't really any. Uh, I didn't think there were really any like downtime or like nothing boring. It moves at a good clip. That said, the ending is a stumbling block. Uh, it is definitely I one thousand percent see why people don't like the ending i get why people do like the ending myself i'm i'm just kind of on the fence i wish the movie either would have been darker to to uh kind of prepare you for the ending a little bit more or would have went the other direction and had the the ending from the book overall though yeah it's it's fine i i'll give it three out of five blue chambray shirts fair enough um, the Mist is one of my favorite adaptation movies. I watch, I've seen it so many times. Uh, I, I actually got my wife to watch it with me and we got to, when they run out of gas, I paused the movie and I said, here's the ending. You decide whether you want to watch it. And she goes, no, thank you. <laughs> See, I said, I had that same exact conversation with, uh, with my girlfriend, except it happened after the, the first night when all the monsters got it the first time. Fair enough. Uh, she paused it and was like, what else? What else is there? And the second I said, well, spiders are next, she said, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm, if I'm, I will watch this anytime. And if I just am not in a place where I feel like accepting the ending, <laughs> I just stop the movie when they run out of gas and I just turn it off and it's just, it's done. Cause I still like seeing the God monster stuff at the end. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I man, I'll pick it up and watch it anytime. Uh, five out of five blue chambray shirts. I also love this movie. It is an excellent adaptation. The acting is really good. It is so faithful. And even the things that they change, like I mentioned before, I feel like they drew on elements that were already present to make those changes, which I think I think is such a fan thing to do. It's so respectful. It tells the audience like the person who did this loved the source material and they wanted to put their own stamp on it, but they wanted to do it in a way that honors the spirit of the story. So anytime that happens, I am way more forgiving of changes, even if I'm not expecting them or even if I don't necessarily like them, if they're smart, I can get on board. Again, the ending, I'm fine either way. I think it's it's always amazing to me because it's like darker than even Stephen King. And, you know, Stephen King can really break your heart with with how he builds these characters and then just he'll just rip them away from you. And so I'm I'm just fascinated that someone was able to do that. And I think part of why I enjoy this ending being the way it is is because I'm just like, Wow. Like, how did you out King King? <laughs> I'm going <laughs> I'm to give it five out of five blue chambray shirts. And that is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be covering from a Buick 8 and reading Until Now Arky. For Joshua Khan and Benjamin Graham, I'm CM Alexander reminding you, as a species, we're fundamentally insane. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Mist Part 3. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought of the ending through our Facebook or Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or Twitter at Dairy Public. 
You can also email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. We have something new for you on our Patreon. If you're not following us on there, we do monthly bonus episodes and early releases. Our current bonus episodes are part of an audio drama we created inspired by King's Colorado Kid. The second episode came out recently, and there will be six more episodes in this series. You can access our bonus episodes and early releases at the $5 and up tier. And in addition to that, you get a lot of cool stuff from us. Don't forget to check out our Etsy store too. Search Etsy.com slash Dairy Public Radio. And for those of you who follow us on social media, here's the code we promised. From now until December 18th, use the code Arrowhead Project 19 for 19% off one product. We have hoodies, zip ups, tees, hats. We have stuff with our Bloody Mike logo and just regular Stephen King related merch. So check that out. Use the code. We hope you like it. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.